if you're allowing your body to take in those 25,000 breaths a day that the average person takes, allowing to do that at an extremely efficient way, then the body has energy to do other things. And it's no coincidence when you breathe this way, your heart rate's going to go down and your blood pressure, I've seen, because I have pretty high blood pressure, will just drop, can drop 10 to 15 points within a few minutes. So you imagine that's after a few minutes. What if you keep breathing this way for a few days, a few weeks, a few years? What's going to happen? Well, we've seen what happens. These people have been studied and they've managed to really overcome so many problems. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and welcome back to the show. I've got such an interesting guest lined up for you today. Joining us is James Nestor, the New York Times bestselling author of a book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. It was such a fascinating read. I learned things in this book that I had never heard about before. So we all know that what we eat impacts our health. We know that exercise or the lack thereof, impacts our health. But did you know that how you breathe also contributes to your health? Well, until I read James's book, I was unaware that there was actually a correct way to breathe. So it turns out that we should all be breathing in through our nose. We should be nasal breathing. And so we discussed this as well as why breathing incorrectly is contributing to chronic conditions. He explains why nasal breathing is so important. He provides us with a breathing exercise that we can easily do. And we cover other key areas from his fascinating book. Now, before we jump into the show, as a reminder, James is a journalist, and this show is for entertainment purposes only. It is not medical advice, and anything dealing with your health and well-being should always be discussed with your trusted healthcare provider. So take a breath, relax, and let's get into the show. Hey, James, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I'm looking forward to discussing your fascinating book, Breath, the New Science of a Lost Art. Uh, Wanted to just jump in with what prompted you to write a book on breath and breathing? (laughs) Uh, I had never intended on doing this. It was just a number of different circumstances sort of coalesced at the same time. And uh, it was two major jumping off points for me. The first one is I had a very odd experience during a breathing class here in San Francisco that my doctor or no one else in the medical community could really describe or help explain, Um, but I didn't know what to do with that experience. Uh, Mm. So it wasn't until several years later after that, that I met some free divers, these people who were able to hold their breath for seven, eight, or nine minutes at a time and dive down to depths below 300 or 400 feet just with their natural bodies that I really saw the potential of breathing. And they explained to me that breathing was 
also had, you know, all of these other applications beyond just deep diving. It could help you help cure yourself of diseases or, or help heat your body up, all of these crazy claims. But it was interesting enough that I went out into the field and, and explored it. Well, you really went out in the field. In the story, it was um, beautifully written. So what I appreciated was that I felt like as the author, as the writer, you created a level of trust with me. And I'm sure every, I can't speak for everyone, but the people reading it, um, because it had a storytelling element to it, which I appreciated. But you also immersed yourself and allowed yourself to be a test subject, which I commend you for, but also I was worried for you (laughs) reading along. So I'm wondering, one of the first investigative things you did was to plug up your nose for 10 days. Can you paint a picture of this experiment and what you learned from going through this? Sure. You know, the things you never thought you'd be doing in in your (laughs) life. Uh, This came about, again, this was not something that was planned it wasn't a prank. It wasn't some stunt that we wanted to put into the book. But as the research started developing, we found some gray zones between the scientific research and some other claims that people were making. So we, we know that mouth breathing is very injurious to your health. We know it's implicated in snoring and sleep apnea and hypertension and even metabolic problems. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But no one knew how quickly that damage came on. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had been talking with the chief of rhinology research at Stanford and many conversations with him over months and months and months. And he thought it would be interesting. He's like, well, you know, what if we test this? Um, He couldn't find anyone. He was just riffing. (laughs) We were at lunch, you know, hanging out. He's like, oh, it'd be interesting to test. So he didn't have any money through through Stanford, um, and so we had to pay to do this, this study. <laughs> and and the, the we is, is me. I didn't want to just do one person because it's really hard to gauge uh, data with just one person, a study sure. of N1. So I managed to convince a breathing therapist who is a nasal breathing fanatic. He's been talking mm-hmm. about this stuff for 10 years. I said, you got to put your money where, where your mouth is. Come on out here. As a joke, I mentioned that. And he showed up uh, all, all on his own dime, you know. Wow. And, and we spent 10 days with, with plugs up our noses to, to test just how injurious mouth breathing was. And then we spent another 10 days just nasal breathing, doing some other breathing exercises. Because uh, what we had been told for, for so long from the so many people in the medical community was how we breathe does not matter. According to them, to Mm -hmm. many people still today, nose, mouth, 20 times a minute, whatever, doesn't matter. And we thought it'd be interesting to put that to the test. Well, you did. And Mm -hmm. so what did you, what did you discover from this? Because, and people need to read the book. I mean, there's so many, there's so much great research in it, so they need to to read it themselves. But if you could tell us what you actually learned from doing this. (laughs) I I put this right at the beginning of the book because I wanted to identify very clearly what the problems are with with breathing. Uh, People don't realize that 80% of the population is breathing inadequately. When I first heard that, it was shocking to me. I said, what are you talking about? I've been breathing my whole life. I'm still alive. I'm doing fine. But then you start to look at these populations. 10% of the population has asthma. Half of them snore. A quarter of them have sleep apnea. 
you know, they, we have allergies. It goes on and even autoimmune problems have been tied mm. to breathing. So you look at this huge population of people and that, that was really, really shocking to me. And 25 to 50% of the population habitually mouth breathes. So we found within a single day of mouth breathing, my blood pressure went up about 15 points. I started snoring and I had not been snoring before. Within a few days, both he and I, the other subject, Anders Olsen and myself, we had the exact same downward spiral in our sleep. So we got sleep apnea. We started snoring four hours throughout the night. That, that was my worst. Uh, blood pressure kept going up. We were anxious. We were fatigued. And these weren't just subjective markers. These were all very clearly laid out with data. Um, and it's, it's just you don't realize so many people are mouth breathing. They, they don't know the damage that they're doing to their, to their bodies. And we certainly saw it first, firsthand in the worst possible way how quickly that damage comes on. Wow. Okay. So, you know, you've just discussed everything from chronic insomnia, snoring, sleep apnea. You, you mentioned in the book uh, having... I mean, asthma, but even having crooked teeth is somehow associated, mm. the way our face is developed, um, and more, all could be caused because of breathing incorrectly. Um, why? Why? Why is nose breathing so important? Well, if you look at the crooked teeth thing, so our skull, and I get into this in the book, and I won't get into it too too much now. It's very weird stuff. And again, I put this that identify the problem in the book so I could spend the, the other 80% talking about how to fix this and what right. to do right. So with, with crooked teeth, our skulls, our, our faces have been growing more flat. Our mouths have been shrinking. That's why we have crooked teeth. And if you have a mouth that's too small for your teeth, you're going to have a smaller airway. And that's one of the main reasons why we're choking on ourselves with sleep apnea and we're snoring. And it's also implicated in allergies and some forms of asthma as well. Um, and this is this, this story that has been around for so long that no one's been looking at is how the human face has changed where anatomically we become a species that has chronic breathing problems. So, just identifying that and understanding that helps us then be able to place that in the context in which we can help improve it. We know what the problem is. Okay, great. What can we do about it? Um, and just by nasal breathing, just by switching that pathway, which is what we showed in the Stanford study, we are, our snoring went to, uh, you know, I was snoring four hours at its worst. So the very first night I was snoring, for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes. The next night, I think I snored eight minutes. Within three nights, I wasn't snoring at all. I had zero sleep apnea. The other subject had the exact same improvements. My blood pressure went down about 15 points. Okay, we, we felt nurtured. Our, our O2 went up. Our CO2 went up. I mean, across the board, uh, our bodies were in many ways transformed by just changing the pathway through which we breathe. And the reason is because the nose... There's this wonderful new article that a uh, journalist just just wrote about all the wonders of the nose, and she really compressed it in a in a wonderful way. Um, but the the short version is our nose filters air, it heats air, it humidifies air, and it pressurizes air, so that when that air gets to our lungs, our lungs can absorb it so much more easily. A breath through the nose, you're going to absorb twenty percent more oxygen than a breath through the mouth. Think about 
how much energy and how much wear and tear you're saving on your body by just 20% is a huge number. Um, we can do so much more nasal breathing with less, with less air and less effort. And that's, that's really the key. Wow. It's so interesting. And I'm thinking now people are going to be wondering, hmm, am I a nose breather? Do I breathe through my mouth? How, how does somebody discern? Because actually having read your book, I was paying attention. I was pretty convinced that I breathe through my nose during the day, but I have no idea what I do at night. So how does somebody really know? Yeah, and I had no idea about this either. Uh, when I first set out to write this book, I wrote this proposal, thought I had all the fields figured out, all the researchers. I didn't at all. And I realized my breathing was so poor for so long. I thought it was just normal to go to bed at night with 22 ounces of water and wake up throughout the night and just have a dry mouth, wake up, drink some water, continue that dry mouth. Um, but it's not at all. If you look at any other animal in the wild, how do they sleep? They're not sleeping with their mouths open. Mm. And and humans should not be sleeping with their mouths open at all. But you know, beyond the, the damage that's going to occur in your airway because when you breathe through your mouth, the soft tissues in the back of the throat will tend to lurch forward and help occlude your airway. Your tongue goes back when you open your mouth. Just instinctually, it goes back. If you have your mouth closed, that tongue is going to go to the roof of your mouth, which is exactly where you want it. That helps open the airway. So the the way that um, I fix this, and they're studying this at Stanford now, and Dr. Mark Berheny has been studying this for, for decades, is... Now, this sounds crazy, I realize, but it's really not. Um, if you do it properly, it's, and now there's a bunch of different products coming online to try to sell you on this stuff, but I found you don't really need them. Um, you tape your lips shut at night. And by that, I'm not saying, you know, this is a hostage situation, you know, strip of tape across your mouth. I'm saying you get a piece of hypoallergenic micropore tape that is this very light adhesive and you take a teeny piece about the size of a postage stamp you place that right on the lips the center of your mouth you can still talk while doing this you can cough you can breathe whatever all you're doing is training that mouth shut at night and four out of five of my friends who were chronic snores and they calculated this i didn't write about this in the book by the way this was mm. just a little study i did on the side okay. they know they no longer snore because of this trick. And I've heard from probably 50 or 60 people who did this within two nights, they said, oh my God, I'm no longer snoring. I'm getting more oxygen. I feel so much more rested. And I think the reason no one's heard about this is there's no way to make money off of this. Mm -hmm. It is, it is free. It is free. If it doesn't work for you, you know, that was probably a quarter of one cent of, you know, of, of tape that you put on your mouth. So... Wow. Okay. This is so interesting. That, that was a lot, I realized. Also. No, this is fantastic. I think, and I and I, I find it so interesting. So we, uh, there will be a disclaimer. James is not a doctor, but he's researched this. I'm so happy you threw out that caveat of, I am not a breathing therapist. Yeah. I am a journalist who went into this field and spent years talking to the, the experts who have been doing these studies for decades, which is why I did that experiment at Stanford. This was all monitored by by professionals, yeah. and we have sheets of data proving this. So, and I, and I know that you wrote in the book that the Mayo Group also did a report that found that chronic insomnia is often 
related correlated to breathing problems. Yeah, yeah they uh, and for some reason nobody had looked at this be- before they started doing this research, but they they looked at the population of insomniacs and found that. 50% of them had sleep apnea that was undiagnosed. And even scarier, they found that the vast majority of these people had been prescribed different medications, um, sometimes antidepressants, sometimes mm. tranquilizers, because they had insomnia, thinking it was a psychological problem. Mm. Guess what happens when you take a tranquilizer? All those tissues become more loose. Your breathing gets worse. And every... Wow. Every one of these people was failing their pharmaceutical treatment mm-hmm. uh, because it was making breathing more difficult. So there is this, and, and again, this stuff is freely available to, to anyone to look up. And that was the Mayo Clinic, and there's this great YouTube talk on it. But we just haven't been, it just shows you how breathing is so essential to our health and no one's been paying attention to it because it's been right in front of us the whole time. All I could think of when I was reading this book was you must be having the most interesting conversations right now and everybody must be telling you about their chronic sinusitis and their sleep apnea and their snoring and all of it. And so now I'm going to share what resonated with me. So you tell the story of, and I hope I pronounce her name correctly, Katerina Sproth, who is from Germany. She passed, I think I read, I Googled her because I was fascinated around the age of 91 And Mm -hmm. she had, they wrote that she had a moderate scoliosis. Now, Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I'm referencing this is when I was about 10 years old, I was diagnosed with moderate scoliosis. I was not disfigured like the images I saw Mm -hmm. online. And I was shocked to know that when she was growing up with this, um, for people with very severe cases, they were left to die basically in their beds. Is that right? This was like crazy to me. And then she helped cure or reverse these extreme curvatures through breath work and exercises. I've never heard of this. I mean, I was braced. I was braced for 23 Mm -hmm. hours of the day. And the irony is that breath is what helped her reverse it, whereas my breath was taken away from me. I literally couldn't take a deep breath in for six years. When you think about right now, if everyone just takes an exhale, take a big deep breath in. You've got these enormous balloons inside of your chest, okay? Mm-hmm. When you take that breath in, it directly affects your posture, which is why people who are constantly chest breathing are usually hunched over. Mm-hmm. So she was told as a teenager, you know, here's your brace, here's your bed, here's your wheelchair when you get older, and then mm-hmm. that's it. And over years, she really worked at this. It wasn't like this happened overnight. Right. But she straightened her spine through stretching and through breathing and through nothing else. And she went on to train up to 100 women at a time at this facility. She was repeatedly derided. Uh, They tried to shut her down. She kept doing what she was doing. And at the end of her life, she lived to be, uh, you know, just three days shy of her 91st birthday. She was awarded by the German government a medal for her work in medicine. So you see these cycles and no one believed this story. And I'm still getting emails. You know, there's always haters and trolls everywhere that say this is fabricated placebo effect, impossible. Look at the pictures, Mm -hmm. look at the x-rays and then get back to me and look at the science here. So, you know, this was just one of the dozens of stories I found where these these people, these pulmonots, I called them, hmm. managed to figure out a way of healing themselves and then healing other people through breathing, 
It's not a placebo effect. It was all very carefully documented. And then when these people died, their treatments just went away. And these cycles just keep, they keep happening now. I know they're happening today, but I was not looking for these stories or these arcs, but Mm. they kept happening over and over and over again. And I hope at this time now, we're having this resurgence in, in recognizing and appreciating what our breathing can do for us. Yeah, and you might find this interesting, but when my brace came off, I developed allergies to food. So mm-hmm. I could eat an apple and pear and peaches and brace came off. And within a month, I had aller- I had what's called an oral histamine reaction to these foods. I mm-hmm. could no longer eat them. I think it's correlated. This is what I kind of took away from not being able to breathe. And so you had us breathe in for a second, like deeply, like mm-hmm. now brace yourself, like literally imagine mm. being contained in there and like you could just take the most shallow breath and had to sleep like that. So I'm going to be doing more research on this myself just because I'm fascinated. And just like with her, once you're given the brace and it's off, they don't say follow up or do anything. No. I mean, you just kind of live with it, I guess, you know? I, and so uh, it's fascinating. I've heard so many, I mean, I'm getting dozens and dozens of emails every, every day. I wish I could respond to all of them. I'm not, I'm not able to right now, but of saying the exact same thing, not, not directly related to scoliosis, but yeah. You know, with people who who have had headgear or braces or other orthodontics, which has made that small mouth smaller and Mm -hmm. suddenly start snoring after years of wearing this or have allergies. And even, you know, on the good side of this, people who have found ways of fixing their breathing, of fixing their oral posture, who nasal breathe, and so many of their allergies go away. So much Mm -hmm. of their anxiety goes away. So much of their asthma goes away. And to me, that it's not too much of a of a leap of logic to to mm-hmm. think about this you know anxiety panic attacks and asthma they're preceded by mm-hmm. and and then you have this constriction and then you can't breathe anymore but what happens if you train your breathing so you don't get to that level and there's been so many studies that have shown how beneficial it is so it's it's all out there um it just seems like People with these chronic conditions are not even being told anything about their breathing and how that's implicated in their issue and how to use better, healthier breathing to help abate some of the symptoms of their problems. Mm, For sure. And well, I guess I'm curious. I'm going to just jump just a little bit because we were talking about the crooked teeth of the dentist mm-hmm. and you met with Dr. Evans who mm-hmm. showed you the photo of a seven-year-old girl we call Gigi in the book who had mm-hmm. sinusitis, asthma, crooked teeth, dark circles. Mm-hmm. And within two years, all of these problems were corrected through whatever was administered. So what what yeah. was done? What, what did she do to help reverse this stuff? So this is fascinating. Uh, Dr. Evans and Dr. Kevin Boyd have been working at the University of Pennsylvania looking at ancient skulls because before we had crooked teeth, we had perfect teeth. And we had those teeth. If you look at an ancient skull that's 500 years old on back, 5,000, 50,000, there is a very good chance, like a 99% chance it's going to have straight teeth. Um, amazing that and, alone blew my yeah. mind in the book i was like well, what you just you, imagine them having teeth that were just horrible because of our teeth yeah. yeah and someone called this a hypothesis and it's yeah. like hmm 
Uh, you can, anyone online, you can just go and look at ancient skulls and check out their teeth and you can see for yourself. Mm-hmm. So the reason why they had straight teeth is because they had a mouth wide enough, large enough to accommodate all their teeth. They did not have their wisdom teeth pulled. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just was, was not happening back when we were cave people. Mm-hmm. So along with that, they had these huge nasal apertures. These are the two holes that connect the nasal passages to, to the throat. So from what we've seen of the skeletal record, these people were able to have this much, much clearer and open airways that would allow them to breathe better. So if, if you look at kids now, um, you know, and, and some of this is, is uh, environmental because of allergies. They learn to mouth breathe and their faces actually grow uh, differently than they would otherwise. It's so common that it's called adenoid face when you have this very long face and your jaw hangs out. When you're a kid and your bones and, and muscles are modeling, then then, you know, anything, that posture you're holding, they're going to be modeling to that posture. So she found that this, this poor girl, uh, you know, had this very underdeveloped mouth, uh, very crooked teeth, and had so many problems, uh, breathing problems. She very likely had sleep apnea, snoring. She had allergies. She had asthma. I mean, go down the list. Mm. What she did is she reversed her mouth to the way it was was supposed to have been. If she had been born 500 years ago, her mouth would have been much larger. So she uses this procedure. She's a dentist um, and an orthodontist and uses this procedure to widen her mouth. I know that that sounds gnarly, but but it's really really not. Um, She does this pretty quickly over a series of months. And I saw a case study after case study, after case study of people, their snoring went away, sleep apnea went away, asthma went away, allergies went away, over and over. And to me, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. These people could breathe freely now. They could breathe through their noses. And that's the benefit right there. My goodness. It's just unbelievable. It's just so interesting to me. But um, I'm curious, was it a palate expander? Because I feel like I'm hearing more of a, this is becoming more popular in regular dentistry where kids now at around seven or eight are having their palates expanded and then given braces later. Does this sound? That's that's exactly right. And what's, what's so interesting to me is the very first orthodontics, this is what they did. They expanded the mouth to make more plain, a larger playing field for teeth to grow in straight. And along with its expanding the mouth, what are you doing? You're opening up the airway more. They've shown up to a 30% increase in airway by expanding using these expansion devices. So for decades and decades, these have not been used. Uh, there's many reasons why they may not have been used. I don't want to wade into those waters. It gets a little <laughs> complicated and controversial. Some okay. people, some dentists have suggested it's because yanking teeth and putting on braces is production line. Uh, yeah. It's much it's much easier. It's much quicker. It's cheap. And that's why it's happened. I don't want to, uh, you know, put in my opinion to that. But mm-hmm. that that is the reality. I had all this. I had teeth yanked, headgear, all of that. Yeah. So what's what's happening now, and there's been this huge movement to change orthodontics for a long time. And I see, because I've been talking to these people in this field, this wave is just coming in and crashing. And one uh, orthodontist who's been doing this for 30 years, Dr. Michael Gelb, very well known, is on the board of every imaginable association. He said, we're going to look back in 10 years at what we've done and be horrified. Mm. Wow. So 
at least we have a way out. And, you know, that's the positive message. I try to focus most of this book on this positive message is once you know the problems of having a small mouth, you can fix it. And when you fix it, you can really transform so many elements of your health. Wow. Okay. This is so good. Okay. Um, you write, as random as it might seem, the mundane act that few seconds of soft chewing was the catalyst for writing this book. Can you expand on that? So is this part of the development again? Yeah. Um, so how do I uh, explain this? I'll, I'll do it quickly. So in, in nonfiction writing, you submit a proposal that's about 50 pages and then you're pub- you sell that proposal. Your publisher right. gives you a little modicum <laughs> of money, just enough so that you're poor and hungry and really want to finish the book. And then they give you more. You know, they, they constantly dangle this carrot. So I had no idea that this stuff um, existed uh, when I wrote that proposal. And I had to throw out about six months of work because this was so much more of a fascinating story to me. Mm. Um, to, to learn that you know our poor breathing habits aren't psychological. They're not just tied to pollen or pollutants. There is an anatomical change in our faces that has happened because of evolution. And another thing I learned is everyone's like, evolution, that means progress, survival Mm. of the fittest. That's how it works. Wrong. Mm. Evolution means change. And animals are changing for the worse, and they can change for the better. If you look at our species, look at what's happened to us. Look at Mm. how many people um, are obese, have diabetes, have autoimmune problems, have asthma, have backs that hurt. These are not advances. This is not survival of the fittest. This is, mm-hmm. this is change. And so I was looking at that in relation to breathing and how our breathing has changed. So the chewing specifically is the main culprit on why our mouths are so small because and underdeveloped because we just don't chew anymore. And by chewing, I also want to put into the umbrella of chewing breastfeeding. Because they've done so many studies looking at the stress and coordination to breastfeed pushes an infant's face outward. And all of that chewing stress builds those muscles and helps build those bones. They've taken populations who have been bottle fed versus breastfed and looked at them snoring later on in life. And those who were bottle fed snore and have sleep apnea at at a high a much higher percentage than those who are breastfed. So it really starts in infancy, but throughout childhood, um, eating, think about the, I think about the food I ate as a kid growing up in Southern California, just soft processed mush, just (laughs) all day, every day. We used to chew four hours a day. And now, you know, we could probably chew 10 times in a day and get that smoothie down, get that avocado down, get that oatmeal down. It's all soft. And so that's the main culprit. Oh my goodness. Okay. It's interesting, but you made me feel better because I nursed my daughter for two years. So now I'm like, okay. There you go. I gave her a little bit of a strong start, at least something good. But uh, Statistically, she's going to have a much better chance of of not having snoring and sleep apnea just because of that. Um, But chewing, um, especially for for kids, is very important to to keep that growth happening, to Mm. keep building that muscle and those bones. Mm, thank you for sharing that. I feel like smoothies have become just so popularized now. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just interesting because uh-huh. that's one meal maybe that people aren't 
eating anymore. They're drinking their meals. Well, um, there's go- there's gogurt. There's I mean, you, you <laughs> think about it. It's it's all soft stuff. You really sit down and think about what you're eating every. And and when when they told me when the researchers told me this, she, she's like, "What did you eat today?" I said, "Oh my god, you know, yogurt." avocados Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's all mush pasta so uh what should we eat james what should we eat i I know i'm not a dietitian i'm not gonna wade into that i i just my my job as a journalist was just to go and report on the stuff objectively what what is the science so this is what's happened to us and we know that whole foods are better Mm -hmm. than processed foods i would hope that people would know that by now that's been pretty well established it's just you know, chewing is not a bad thing. It helps tone the airways more. Mm. It gives you a good, you know, workout. You can burn a little, a few more calories that way. Mm. Um, but but I, I just thought that one one other thing, they, they looked at populations where they had been quickly switched to uh, industrialized foods, processed mm. modern foods, uh, sometimes in the same family where, where half the family would eat these foods and the other half wouldn't. And within a single generation, uh, those who had switched to industrialized soft foods had 50% of them on average would have crooked teeth. Wow. So um, yeah, single generation. So Wow. And I think, you know, when I I got certified as a holistic health coach about eight years ago, one of the Mm -hmm. things that we learned was the importance of chewing your food about 25, 30 times. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us are just always rushing and we're inhaling our food too. So even when we're chewing, we're not really chewing the way that we're supposed to be to activate the saliva or whatever is supposed to be Mm -hmm. happening. So it's fascinating. Okay. So um, one thing I do want to ask you is there's a breathing technique that I know you can teach or I would... I will ask you, could you teach us that you reference in the book that we can we can start to practice just a simple breathing technique? Sure. Um, I, I, I know I've mentioned this a few times, but I am not a breathing therapist. I did pick up a few tricks. And, and one of those tricks that I thought was fascinating that I've studied myself, I've, I've put a bunch of sensors on my body and just looked at what happens to my body when you breathe this way and was stunned just absolutely stunned by it. And people can do this at home. If you have a blood pressure cuff, you can take your blood pressure before this and then take it after. If you have a pulse oximeter, that's fun to look at as well. But it was something that researchers had studied about 20 years, about 20 years ago, um, where you can breathe in to about a count of six. So that would be inhale, two, three, four, five, exhale, two, three, four, five, inhale, and just keep breathing that way. And when you do this, you are breathing so much more efficiently and you're able to get much more oxygen into your bloodstream just by just by breathing this way. You, you think, well, you know, I'm kind of feels like I'm not getting enough air. No, you want to be taking these slow breaths. And what uh, something else that happens is you lulling yourself into this this parasympathetic rest and relaxation mm. response. And when you look at what happens to the body when you take these rhythmic breaths of about five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out, don't sweat it if you're off a, a little bit. The cardiopulmonary system enters this state of synchrony and coherence where all the functions are just locked in and working at perfect efficiency. Mm-hmm. And you can see this with a heart rate variability monitor, which gauges nervous system um, and, and your vagal response. 
instead of having these jagged lines that you would see on the screen, which happens if you're talking or if you're stressed, all of these lines became extremely smooth and organized and they all lock into one another, almost like a fractal. Um, and anyone can, can view this and see this. And this is being, this breathing practice, it's so simple, but it's, it's being used by psychiatrists in New York, Patricia Garberg, um, Richard Brown, Dr. Richard Brown at Columbia wrote a book um, focused largely on, on this breathing practice, but it's good for anxiety, asthma, whatever you've gotten. Because if you're allowing your body to take in those 25,000 breaths a day mm. that the average person takes, allowing to do that at an extremely efficient way then the body has energy to do other things. And it's no coincidence when you breathe this way, your heart rate's going to go down and your blood pressure, I've seen, because I have pretty high blood pressure, mm. will just drop, can drop 10 to 15 points within a few minutes. So you imagine that's after a few minutes. What if you keep breathing this way for a few days, a few weeks, a few years? What's going to happen? Well, we've seen what happens. These people have been studied and they've managed to really overcome so many problems. Wow. And did you find that there was a correlation to religion and yogic traditions, the rosary? Was there something mm. about this with the rhythmic breathing that maybe for generations people were doing this without being aware of it? Yeah, this was this was fascinating. Um, I referenced those researchers in Italy 20 years ago who really were the first to really do some science behind this. And they found that the rosary actually evolved from practices in India. It was borrowed from practices in India. And those practices for India were the same practices that were done in China, which were the mm -hmm. same practices done by Buddhists in Tibet. Wow. And so they had developed these different prayers and the most popular prayers, either the, the Rosemary, the, the Ave Maria, um, which is the cycle in Latin that is the priest will uh, speak a phrase, and then the congregation speaks a phrase. It takes about six seconds to speak that phrase and about six seconds to then inhale after that. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened with the Kundalini Sata Nama prayer or the Om Mani Padmi Ham or Om. All of those work out to almost the exact same amount of time. And the researchers said it probably wasn't a coincidence why right. so many people found these so healing. The praying, the, the, the praying, uh, you know, the, the prayer part of this, that's great. You can pray if, if you want, and that's, that's awesome. But it's just by breathing this way is extremely restorative. And they believed that this was possibly one of the reasons why so many different cultures at different times develop these systems. It is. Re it's really just, it is fascinating. Um, that you, there's a quote in your book from the Tao. Uh, the breath inhaled through the mouth is called Nai Chi, which is extremely harmful. Be careful not to have the breath inhaled through the mouth. <laughs> so they've known this for long, a long time. And I just think it's so interesting. Um, I'm wondering, do you think that mainstream medicine and science are catching up to this ancient wisdom or do we have a ways to go? The, the funnest thing about writing this book is, you know, when I was really starting off three or four years ago, I, I was working with people at Stanford, people at Harvard, and there's been a, a huge amount of, of work for, for the past decades, but it's still been pretty underground because it's really hard to get funding for these, these studies. Still there's in, you know, you can see it online for free on my site. There's 500 scientific studies there if, mm. if you want to check them out. 
But one of the funnest things um, that I've experienced just in the last month since this book is out is getting notes from doctors, psychiatrists. I uh, just someone wrote me from Yale, um, and they are just now releasing all of these studies on mm. the benefits of breathing. And Stanford now has this huge initiative in breathing right now. So Harvard's had this for a while. Herbert Benson's been doing this mm -hmm. work for 40 years yeah. and, and his work is incredible. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, I think humanity is at the point where we're like, okay, things are bad now. We, yeah. we need to, we need to start taking care of ourselves and all of this bluster and this people fighting one another and all these accusations in, mm -hmm. in the Academy, I would like to think we can put that aside and help learn together and work together and figure this thing out. And it's been very inspiring to see these real experts in the field at some of the top institutions now really taking breathing as, as an important area of research to be explored even further. There's so much more to learn about it, and hopefully we will learn about it in the next few years. That's great. It's encouraging, sort of an open source play maybe some sort of open source model on breath and breathing or something where they can share well, best practices you can you can't patent how we breathe you know and that that's what's wonderful you can read these studies and they will show you how how people were breathing this way you know it's it and and breathing's free it's available for everyone as i've mentioned the worst thing that's going to happen from some of these practices is you're going to feel better yeah, absolutely. Like you said, it's free. Well, let me ask you then, has your the way that you're living and breathing changed? And wondering if there's any daily practices or weekly practices that you've incorporated that maybe we can consider doing as well. You know, this is funny. I having written and researched a book about breathing for, for so many years and having it been out for the for the past what five weeks or so. Yeah. I am not a very good breather the, these past <laughs> few weeks. I mean, I've been on so many <laughs> for hours a day I'm talking. And when you're talking, notice what happens. You're breathing through your mouth. And that's one of the reasons why you're you're thirsty. That's one I think that's one of the reasons you get more tired more easily. Mm. So I do not want to be the poster boy of like perfect <laughs> breathing. Uh, I'm a, I'm a journalist. I found these things. <laughs> there are some hacks you can do. Like the book is filled with all that. Like listen to the the researchers. Be you know, you can even be skeptical, but but listen to the researchers and, and see what they've actually done. Yeah. But have, having said that, you know, you try to be divorced or removed a bit from the subject to be as objective as you can, but you can't help becoming emotionally engaged with some of these, these people who have been, you know, for 50 years, they were taught there was nothing they could do with their, their problems, their, their asthma, their autoimmune diseases, and then in two weeks, them recovering and, and just be so moved by that. And, and it's measured recovery, right? This is, there is data behind it. So, picking up a few of those things and I live a very frenzied life and, and incorporating some of what I've learned from them has been enormously helpful. I was mm -hmm. lucky enough to test this stuff in labs so I could really see how helpful it was for my body. And, you know, when you're, when you have measurements and machines, it, it really shows you that it will be doing the same thing for other people as well. Not just your attitude, but it, it really changes how your body works. And that's mm -hmm. so important. 
Yeah. Um, so at the end of your book, then let me just, you reference different breathing, breath, breathing techniques like Tumo, yogic breathing, Kriya, four, seven, seven, eight breathing, Wim Hof's method. Um, is the idea, you know, to maybe just explore what works for you and just as long as you're breathing through your nose, you're on the right path. <laughs> is that these oversimplifying? Are, these are different tools in the, in the toolkit that you can use at different times for different reasons. Um, you know, I had set up the book where the, the beginning is the problem. It's okay. We're mouth breathing. Our mouths are too small. We have all these other issues. And then, you know, the meat of the book are these, these breathing practices. I won't even call them practices, habits that mm. everyone anywhere can benefit from. doesn't matter if you have a chronic disease. doesn't matter if you're an ultra marathoner, you're the fittest person of the, on the planet. Mm. You can benefit from breathing slower you can benefit almost all the time from breathing less. You can benefit by taking a longer exhale. Um, and, and so once you incorporate, and of course, you have to breathe through the nose. That's, that's mandatory. Mm -hmm. But after you've, you've gotten that down and want to go up that next rung, that's what the Wim Hof, the Tumo stuff, the yeah. holotropic. Um, once you've figured that out and those techniques, I mean, talk about crazy science. These mm -hmm. people curing themselves of autoimmune diseases that, you know, according, met, according to, to doctors, it was medically impossible. But check out the papers published in Nature, one of the most prestigious scientific journals, you know, in the world, and see what they're finding. And those stories I just thought were incredible. Not everyone needs that. Not everyone's going to want to do those really intensive versions, but we can all breathe better. We can all benefit from that. Yeah. Um, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Everyone should buy this book. I mean, it's just so interesting and just, you're going to learn so much. And, but I'm curious, what's next for you, James? Is there a breath too, or where, where no, are you going? No. <laughs> are you done with breathing? <laughs> I've, uh, I've exhausted myself of, of, of breathing. Um, no, we're, uh, hopefully, um, we're going to be, uh, possibly putting this into a, a doc or a mini series. Um, oh, cool. some, you know, production's very weird right now during yeah, a yeah. pandemic, but, but there are some rumblings from, from that world down there. But I have another book idea that I've been picking away at for a mm -hmm. few years, but the idea of actually starting another book right now makes me a little queasy to my stomach. <laughs> so I'm just going to be talking about breathing for a while and uh, trying to breathe a little better than I've been breathing last last few weeks. Oh my goodness. Well, I love this conversation. If people want to learn more about you and your book, where can I direct them, James? Uh, the website's a good spot, mrjamesnester.com. Uh, some other jerk took James Nestor, so I had to put the uh. Mister there. That wasn't that wasn't <laughs> cutesy. Uh, I'm also on. I'm trying to get better at social media, even though I'm still mm -hmm. pretty bad at. It. So, Mister mm -hmm. James Nestor on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the rest. Uh, by the way, I have on on my website. Uh, I have a bunch of videos of these uh, amazing the, the scoliosis people who were able mm -hmm. to straighten their spine and people who are able to overcome emphysema. So it's all there on on video, and I'll be posting a lot more of that stuff as soon as I get two minutes to to sort of figure that out. Um, thank you for your time. I'll link all of that in the show notes. This has been such a pleasure. It's really life-changing research and I'm very grateful for you to have put it all in one place and have kept it so interesting. And so thank you so much for your, your time today. Thank you very much for having me. 
This is Michelle Lamoureux, and you've been listening to the Good Life Coach Podcast. Now remember, all of the show notes can be found over at thegoodlifecoach.com. Now I have one favor before you sign off today. If you've benefited from any of the shows that you've listened to and really enjoyed the content, would you be kind enough to take just one minute and rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts? It's how I know what's resonating with you and also it helps other women find the show. Thank you as always for tuning in and I look forward to reconnecting next Wednesday. Bye for now.